Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed. You can catch us online at sknr.net. You can also catch us each week at Pinal Central, P-I-N-A-L Central.com, keyword Skewed, where you can see our game reviews amongst the network of eight newspapers. We have the quarterly magazine, Skewed and Reviewed, the magazine, which is available at Barnes & Noble and other outlets. And, of course, each week I appear on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM. As part of the BJ and MIG show, we have the uh, simulcast on our page, or you can just go to ksw.com, have a look. We talk movies, games, pop culture, entertainment, television, travel, conventions, and so much more. And I'm joined, as always, with Justin and Michael. And rejoining us is Joseph, who many of you longtime listeners will remember. His schedule's cleared up a bit, so he can start rejoining us on a regular basis so let's kick it off and get right out the door and let's talk about uh one of the big news of this week was the open platform call of duty black ops cold war beta which is uh, was originally available just for the people who pre-ordered and as of today it is or yesterday actually it's available for everybody to go ahead and try i think they're going to do it again next weekend so if you've got a pc an xbox or a ps uh, four, you can download and play. So I know I've played it extensively. Let me open it up. Who wants to uh, go ahead and discuss the system or the game? Okay, so I guess I will start then. Uh, I find it rather interesting. It, it moves a bit slower than I expected it to, but the last one did that as well until they optimized it. I think it's a part of crossplay. Uh, really enjoyed the Armada video uh, mode, which was a multiple hey guys, ship battle here. with jet skis, gunboats, zip lines, that sort of yeah, thing. I have, yep, had a video up on that one where I actually got to play of the game for storming the bridge and taking out five guys who were in sniper position, which was a lot of fun. Um, the satellite map was actually a lot of fun, too, in the dunes and the caves. And uh, Miami hasn't worked as well for me, but I, I've enjoyed that. I tried the dirty bomb mode, a lot of stuff like that. So I'm uh, encouraged by what I've seen so far. Um, anyone else have any commentary? I know, Joseph, you were saying something. Oh, no, I was just agreeing on that. Uh, the uh, the mission you're talking about with the jet skis and everything, that one was a little bit um, more than what I was expecting out of it, actually. I was, I was going into the beta just expecting your traditional 5v5 experience. Hey, play our new game because it's the same one we put out every year. But uh, that one actually, uh, I was having fun playing that mission. I think I'm really curious to see what's going to happen when the zombies ship. Because, uh, you know, that's that's out there. <laughs> but the fact that they have the new modes, I mean, you got the Warzone, you've got all the classic deathmatch modes. Now you've got the VIP escort, you've got the Dirty Bomb one, you're going to have the zombie one. And then, of course, you know, there are some variations. I mean... I actually thought it was fun driving the boat around, doing jumps on the jet ski, jumping off that to go in, zip lining over to another boat and taking a guy out as you zip lined over. I mean, that was that's kind of fun you expect from Call of Duty. So um, naturally, we'll have to see how uh, the full set of maps are and we'll have to see what the campaign looks like and so on and so forth. But I definitely think they're moving in a good direction. Next up is Second Extinction, and Joseph and I have been playing this in early access. And uh, Joseph, why don't you just explain to everybody what exactly it is and what your impressions are? 
Uh, yeah. So basically, you're. I. It was hard for me to tell if we're talking about Earth or another planet here, but there's a planet full of like dinosaurs on steroids. <laughs> it's probably a light way to put it. Like these things are pretty, pretty aggressive, pretty attacking, and your job uh, is part of a drop team to go down and rescue people or salvage supplies or things that have gotten attacked by these dinosaurs and to bring it back up and to kind of slow the population. It's a fairly quick moving game. We don't have a ton of storyline to it other than, hey, here's your rescue missions and things like that. Um, although it's still in early access right now, so I expect to see a lot more of that flesh out as we as we near um, actual release date. Um, in my opinion, some of the customization stuff and the like, the armory needs a little work. Um, it, you can definitely tell it's early access. As you know, I was trying to change like emotes and outfits, and instead of like naming the emote, it was like text field or you know something like that. And um, but uh, I think I was mentioning to you like the textures were actually really good uh, for early access. But I I'm worried about their drawing, like their render distance, and I'm hoping that they do something to solve that because it felt like hey, I'm jugging along and there's like 500 feet in front of me, there was a dinosaur, and then all of a sudden there's no dinosaur or vice versa. And uh, some glitchiness, we experienced that one that one level where kind of at the end everything slowed down to what, like two frames a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's obviously some kinks to work out, uh, but I think we still have quite a ways to go before they actually release, so there's a lot of work that they can still put into it. Yeah, I think one of the great things about it is it it's enjoyable. There are different characters to play. Obviously, you can customize them. Like, I had one character that had a grenade launcher, which was nice, but it took some getting used to because you had to mm-hmm. bounce the grenades over and take out the target. Well, as you went along, you could upgrade that and just get a shotgun. You can get an assault rifle. Then you can upgrade the, the rifle, obviously. And then I found one character who had a sniper rifle, and I thought, this isn't going to be ideal for masses. You know, I'm not going to be sitting from a distance, uh, you know, taking cheap shots. And then I found out I could put a shotgun and an SMG on him. And the shotgun was a very big equalizer. I, you know, don't care how aggressive that Raptor was. A shotgun point blank to the face ended the conversation right there and then. And being able to light him up with the C4 and just blow him to pieces uh, was great fun. And I tell you, you know, blowing up a gas tank and watching a dinosaur, Hmm. as well as one of your teammates, Joseph, launch straight up in the air. And you're like, wow, that's (laughs) I got some distance on that one. Yeah. Uh, so Gareth, as we were sprinting through these areas, sometimes he would be like, "Hey, I'm gonna shoot this tank as we're running by it." Not and sometimes. I'm like, everyone, I I'm saw. like, I'm like a good hundred yards behind him, and I'm like coming up on him, I'm like, "Okay, I can make it past it before boom," and I get like blown into a wall. <laughs> I'm just like, now, "Thanks, man." <laughs> the trick is, there's no, there was no collateral damage, so if you're yeah. on the team, they weren't gonna do it. That's why I did it. <laughs> and besides, I think my favorite was when you went to hit the computer. And the dinosaur rushed. I blew a C4 pack, and you went flying, hit the roof of the uh, oh yeah 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 room, and <laughs> landed back down on a herd of dinosaur parts. <laughs> but you no, know, a lot of fun. We have video up all over the page, so you can definitely check that. I the Next... only thing I'll say, well, real quick, real quick, and you were yeah. talking about like the grenade launcher. The one thing that I felt with that thing was, yeah, it was something to get used to, but like, um, it wasn't. You know, most grenade launchers in games, they'll explode on impact, but this thing would actually bounce and, like, wait a second before it exploded. So I think that's the one thing you had to get used to on that. 
but I think that the whole thing actually felt more like an alpha than an early access thing. And I'm hoping that they put some more, some more work into it before we get uh, anything further. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of a lot of these is to get some money in to complete development and as well as get some feedback. Uh, next up, continuing our game category, Borderlands 3, and we'll get um, Michael and Justin to discuss this. So a uh, lot of news about uh, upgrades coming to Borderlands 3 as well as new content. So, Michael, why don't you start us off? Tell us what you think. Well, I, I kind of, we, we've kind of discussed Borderlands 3 in the past, particularly how we continue to see them drive a lot of innovation and also drive a lot of um, expansion into this game. You know, the game's been out for, what now, well over a year? It's been two years. Um, but they continue to drive DLC, and now we're hearing that they're going to continue to drive uh, performance improvements, things like um, 60 frames per second at 4K uh, and that sort of thing, on you know, on, particularly on the newer consoles, and drive some of that um, visual enhancement and performance enhancements in general. So I really like how they continue to push that game forward, um, not just you know resting on their laurels and and thinking about the next next big thing, but actually driving that forward and continuing to um, develop for it, expand on it, and provide the best um, experience going forward across the platform. So no, I think it's really good that we continue to see that development uh, increase on Borderlands. Sorry. And uh, Justin, do you have a take, please? Yeah, no, I think this is pretty great, just because, um, you know, I think uh, for someone like me, I actually have not had a chance to play Borderlands 3 yet. Um, it's just one of those, uh, I wanted to play it, I'm a big Borderlands fan, but um, it didn't uh, It didn't come out on Steam, and, you know, there was all that hubbub about um, Steam and, and uh, Epic Game Store. It eventually did come out on Steam, but I think my attention was elsewhere when it came out. So I think it's good that they're continuing development, and this will be a good opportunity for someone like me to, to jump in and uh, play it, uh, play it with all the new content, and it's pretty good that they're uh, they're continuing to support it with more DLC. Uh, so I'm kind of eagerly awaiting that, and that way, you know, I can play a complete package, and uh, um, I'm looking forward to it. And Joseph, your take on all this, please. I've um, I think it's awesome that they're actually going through the process. A lot of companies are putting a lot of effort into upgrading their stuff and, and making it more forward friendly, which I think is good because they're finally realizing the investment that a lot of people put into these games and get upset when you just say, okay, hey, now we're now we're moving on to the next one. And all of this content that we could have given you for this is going into a new game that you're going to have to spend more money for than you would for a DLC. So... Or like in the past generations between three and four, you had to pay for the upgrade between the, the systems. Now, I don't know if Borderlands is offering that free next gen upgrade like some of the companies does, but I I know they are for Xbox. I don't I don't know about PlayStation five, but I know Xbox yeah. they've said that they are for sure. Yeah. So I, I think like it it's it's nice to see that they're taking time to put investment back in the player rather than just their pocketbook sometimes. Yeah, and I think for me, what really got me excited was the uh, announcement that there's going to be at least two new campaigns, because this is always the uh, discussion that gets a lot of people mixed on a game like this that's open world where there is lots to continue to do. There's always the argument of how long do you keep applying DLC and updates to it? When do you decide, okay, it's time to take a break from this? 
or do you immediately move and start getting into the realm of it's time for Borderlands 4? And we have to remember with Borderlands 3, it took a long time from Borderlands the pre-sequel back to Borderlands 3. And of course, you know, Borderlands the pre-sequel did not have the same kind of popularity and reaction that Borderlands and Borderlands 2 did. And there were even people coming out saying, oh, I don't know if we're going to see a Borderlands 3. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. We saw it. It was a massive success. The fact that it's continued to be a popular game uh, shows that. But of course, you know, now you're in that bit where people are going to say, well, we were told there'd be four DLC packs. We got the four DLC packs. There we go. Is that going to be it? Now we're told, well, here's a couple more coming. So the argument is going to just come as to how long are they going to keep upgrading the game with uh, features like this? And at what point do they move on to, um, uh, what do you call it, to planning a, another game? And, you know, of course, the, the development time on these is pretty huge. But listen to some of the things that they are going to include. Uh, three and four player split screen, 4K 60 frames per second in single play and online co-op. And this will be free to current next gen owners uh, who own next gen consoles. So, uh, so essentially if you own the game now on a PS4 or an Xbox, it will be a free upgrade to the next gen console. Uh, you know, lots of crazy things going on. They talk about some of the things that are going to come in addition to new content is they're going to be doing a series of showcases on Twitch where they talk about some of the new things that are going to be coming, some of the new modes that are going to be coming. And so it'll be interesting to see um, what happens. But the plan right now is that they will release all of this, um, obviously not the new DLC, but they will have uh, November 10th when the Xbox rolls out and on November 12th when the PS5 rolls out, uh, they will have all of this. So it'll be interesting. One of the um, time frames they're looking at is, for example, on October 20th, they'll talk about uh, Amara and Flack's new skill tree. On October 22nd, they'll talk about Mo and Zane's new skill tree. October 29th, um, they will talk about the new arms race mode that is coming and then october 30th they will um do a live playthrough of arms race for special guests and then of course there are other things coming like for example they talk about something called the designer's cut which is an add-on that will launch on november's 10 there's a director's cut coming later in the year um you know part where it gets confusing it says will include two new downloadable content add-ons, Designer's Cut and Director's Cut. And people are like, okay, are we getting new campaigns? How does this work out? So on and so forth. Fact is, it's new stuff for Borderlands 3, and that's not a bad thing. Now, um, moving on, gentlemen, we had a new movie trailer drop this week for Monster Hunter. Uh, it, interesting to see how this works, so let's go around. Justin, uh, your take. Monster Hunter, what do you think? Well, uh, I've have some mixed feelings, I suppose. Um, I'm not a huge uh, Monster Hunter fan, um, so I don't know if this is like particularly for me. Um, that being said, you know it looks kind of interesting, I suppose. Uh, I, I've also, you know, have kind of a 
a a mixed feeling i have some mixed feelings about paul ws anderson's work in the past um you know i i i think some of his movies have been pretty good um obviously he uh he made the first alien vs predator movie uh which i also have some pretty mixed feelings about um that being said you know he also did event horizon which was pretty great too was was pretty great um but uh i i just don't really know what to feel about this particular movie uh, i've i've given the monster hunter games a, a try a few times and i i want to sort of get into them um but they they take a lot of expertise and a lot of time to really get into the mechanics um and that being said with even with my limited knowledge of it uh the premise seems kind of odd as it seems like one of those movies where they're trying to capitalize on the the property uh, but not really go all in on it um, because the premise really kind of centers on a group of soldiers here in our world and they've been now trans transported to the monster hunter world um, so uh, I don't really know how I feel about that I you know because the the monster hunter games are, are definitely not centered on that kind of premise it you know they, they take place on this very kind of fantasy world uh and with all fantasy characters there's usually no uh you know characters from our world um that that go there so uh, i don't know um I, i'm i'm a little bit mixed right now i'll have to kind of wait and see uh some future trailers and some future content just to see if if i'm really interested in going to see it um but uh i'm curious to hear what anybody else thinks and michael your take please yeah, so I, I I agree on several points. The first thing I saw when I when I watched the trailer is it kind of reminded me of those old movies where uh, there's folks in a submarine and they or and they go through some wormhole and they end up in dinosaur on a, you know back in the past with the dinosaurs or whatever. Um, it it kind of is about you know how would the Monster Hunter universe fare if a bunch of soldiers with their tech arrived to fight you know the monsters. Me not, not being a big Monster Hunter fan myself, you know, not really playing the games, I think it's less of a letdown for me personally. I mean, I think it looks, visually it looks really good. Again, it reminds me of kind of like King Kong or any of those other movies where, you know, you get a bunch of soldiers and mix them up with a bunch of large monsters um, and, and see how modern weaponry does against the big monsters. So I don't really have a problem with that storyline. But again, I'm not the target audience for the Monster Hunter franchise. I think for those who are are into the Monster Hunter lore, the games themselves, this will probably be a bit of a disappointment because I do agree. I think it's they're kind of taking the license, the name, and we see this all the time, right? Where they they don't try to to mimic the storylines of the games. They don't try to even pretend that they're even trying to to follow the game storylines. It's more about utilizing the franchise name and drawing in people, you know, in that way. And again, in this in this case. Monster Hunter, for anybody, there's going to be a lot of people who are unfamiliar with the game, have never heard of the game, who are going to just think this is a movie about, you know, Mila Jolovich and a bunch of army rangers and, and folks being transported someplace and attacking big monsters. And that's fine, right? It, it draws on the individuals who aren't gamers, who aren't familiar with the game franchise, but with the added bonus of using that hook to bring in uh, gamers who are like, oh, yeah, I, I know those games or I like those games. But again, I, I think it's going to target more the people who are not diehard Monster Hunter fans. I, I think that they would probably... There's going to be obviously some Easter eggs there. There's going to be some aspects of it that are going to be very similar to the Monster Hunter franchise and, and draw in those folks for sure. 
But I think if you're looking for a, a, a true movie based on the Monster Hunter franchise and the lore that's been developed across the several games in that franchise, I think those are the folks that are going to be most disappointed by it. But no, I think it looks cool. It's it's a it's a typical summer blockbuster type movie. Lots of big explosions, lots of big monsters. I imagine the story will be meh. I, I just can't imagine the story will be all that interesting because again, uh, similar to how the Transformer movies um, have been, it's less about the story. It's more about the spectacle on the screen, the big explosions, the huge monsters, um, the various locations that sort of thing. So if you're looking for a blockbuster type movie and don't really care about the story, this is probably going to scratch that itch. If you're really involved deeply in the Monster Hunter universe, the Monster Hunter franchise, and you're looking for a movie that's going to satisfy that interest in seeing more about that world and exploring more about that universe, I have a feeling this is probably not going to be what they're looking for. But again, uh, big, big, you know, blockbuster explosions and big monsters are always a big draw. So I expect it'll do well, whether it's relative to the story or not. And Joseph, your take, please. I feel like I'm being punished for not being around. I get to go last. Everybody's already said everything. Um, <laughs> no, so I see two trends, and 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 both they've touched on both the things or some stuff I want to talk about, but. Two trends with this movie that are unfortunately not very good trends. One, we're seeing studios started to take that creative license again. So first off, I'm going to say this movie's going to flop. It's not going to do well. And it's, it's for all the reasons that have just been said. They're taking a movie that has an established lore or a franchise that has an established lore, established storyline, and they're saying, you know what? Screw it. We don't want it. We're going to do our own thing with this, and we're going to bring modern times into it. And when I first saw the trailer, now I've never played a Monster Hunter game, but I know I've seen enough about the franchise that I kind of get a, a vague idea of what it's about. And the moment I saw rocket launchers in the game, in the trailer, I was like, what the heck are we doing here? <laughs> like, this is not what I expected. And I definitely didn't expect Mila Jovovich to jump right back into a resident evil repeat. Almost like that first movie. I'm really kind of surprised we got our, our franchise out of that in, in movies because that first movie, it was good, but it wasn't great. And so it didn't push us over. And she kind of just became, in my circle of friends, this kind of, oh, there's another jo Mila Jovovich Resident Evil? Huh? Oh, well. <laughs> like, anyway, let's move on. And then the other trend I see is is bigger is better. I mean, we saw it with the Dune trailer, and we're starting to see it with a lot of things right now. And they think that that makes up for lack of storyline or emotional connection or things like that. And people, that's all they want to see these days. And I have a feeling that they're going to have a rude awakening because, yes, while we do want to see that stuff, there's an a hunger for a lot more storyline and depth to these movies than just big explosions. And I think one of the things lambaste me for this all you want but i think one of the perfect examples of this is like the the fast and the furious franchise and yes it's all about explosions but they have the connection the emotional connection of family in there that keeps bringing people in and if you don't have something like that for these big movie franchise these days you're not going to be successful so i don't think that we're going to see more than one monster hunter movie but I've been wrong before, so we'll see. Well, this is a very interesting thing because I'm glad you mentioned Resident Evil, and it's important to know uh, Anderson and Mila are married, and so it was kind of no shock yeah, that yeah. he would at least try to pull her into the franchise. And despite their issues, 
the Resident Evil film series has been the most successful adaptation from a financial standpoint of a video game to date. Now, uh, you look at the last film, I know they started to shoot the last couple in 3D. They didn't do the converted 3D. They used the James Cameron cameras and, you know, it, it made it appealing. I mean, yes, I know the storylines can be a little all over the place and trying to follow some of them for some people got to be confusing. The interesting thing was the last one did not do as well in the U.S. That was kind of the, okay, that's it. That's the end of the franchise. Time to kick it around. We had animated uh, films follow. There was talk that um, they were going to reboot the franchise down the road. And it's, it's such an interesting thing because, for example, the recent redos of, uh, what was it, Resident Evil 3, did not go over well with people. However, people are excited for the new game that's coming. So it's clear that on average, it seems gamers want to move forward, not backwards with the franchise. And, you know, as you guys mentioned, Michael, uh, Justin, Joseph, you mentioned the taking the license. And that is always such a touchy subject because I have talked to people from Movable to Chris Roberts, uh, you know, Wing Commander, with Far Cry, with all these various films. And they they told me time and again, the biggest problem is that when you get the license to do these films, let's look at Doom with Universal. There have been two Doom movies. The second was so bad, they went out of their way to say, this is not condoned in any way, shape, or form by id Software. And the problem is they say these things get sold but then you get, uh, like, I'll, I'll use Far Cry as an example. They came out and they told him, you can use the name, you can use the characters. You can't make the mutations look the same. You can't, uh, it can't be set in a tropical island. So they had to use islands in the Pacific Northwest. And there was this whole laundry list of things that you could not do. And specifically, it was follow examples from the film, I mean, from the games, because the arguments always, well, um, this might be something we want to use at a future date. And this is why so many of these movies, you know, Super Mario Brothers on down the line have been a disaster. They put these things out because they say, oh, this game's hot. The fans will come and see it. And then they come and see it and it doesn't look like the games. It doesn't, you know, have a tone like the games. The story's completely reinventing the franchise in many ways. And people say, forget it. And what happens? Well, it ends up making money overseas. And there you have it which is what happened with the last Resident Evil. It, it tanked in the U.S. below expectations, absolutely cleaned up in China to the point where they made a very nice profit on it and said, hey, you know what, maybe there's life left in this franchise. So rather than have this thing get ridiculously out of control, look at where we are with video games right now. You had the successful Witcher series. You've had the animated Castlevania series. There are uh, lots of rumors that we're getting a um, Division series. It was going to be a movie, and now apparently it's either a movie-slash-series moving to a streaming platform. And so here you are back to the same problem. You can anim uh, the, the big problem is you can't condense something like this that covers multiple games into one two-hour or less movie. And you guys are so dead on. When I looked at the game, when the first pictures we saw was them running through the desert with those oversized weapons. And you say, okay, that 
kind of looks like the game. You know what you're going to get. These people fighting these gigantic CGI monsters. And then we get this whole thing with the soldiers pulled through time, dimension, space, whatever, with the modern weapons. And I think what I'm going to see is maybe a mid-range success in the U.S., not a big hit. And I think it clearly looks like they're counting on European and the foreign market to carry this thing because traditionally, there you have it. But let's not forget the last time this was tried with something called Warcraft. It did okay overseas, but not what they had hoped and uh, didn't do well here. And there you have it. So be very interesting to see down the line. So, Joseph, since you feel picked on, you get to lead the final segment of the show. And that is uh, news that The Mandalorian, which is going to be having its second season on Disney Plus at the end of the month, is uh, A, potentially going to be dropping a brand new trailer during Monday Night Football tomorrow night, and B, maybe filming the as-yet-announced season three at the end of the year. What do you make of this? Bring it on. I loved the first season. Like, <laughs> so as I'm sure with most Star Wars fans, once you were done watching it, you felt like they couldn't have really done a better entry into the Star Wars television universe in terms of live action and hoping that they continue on with it. It's interesting to see some of the cast members added and it, I'm hoping to get more of a look into it with the new trailer in terms of maybe we'll get to see Rosario Dawson in there as uh, Ahsoka Tano or more of, um, well, I can't think Michael, of the girl's Michael name. Michael Bean's character. Michael Bean's character. We also have uh, the the lady from WWE coming in as was possibly a Jedi. I can't think of her name oh, right now. Right. But it's just it's intriguing the way they're going because this is all set after Episode Six, obviously, and I think to a lot of people up until that point, um, they thought that Jedi were still kind of known throughout the universe in a sense. Uh, and not like considered fabled, at least in my mind. And and maybe I just missed clues or something like that. But the fact that they're like, they're referring to these Jedi as like this ancient thing in the trailer makes it seem really interesting. And the fact that we're finally going to get to see Jedi on a small screen and it'll be fun. Uh, season three. Yes, please. I mean, I don't see you mentioned off air. They're talking about five seasons and I'm, I can see that happening easily, especially with the way we're going in the the film industry and the pandemic. Honestly, I think that it's going to take a long time for that industry to recover and television is going to be where it's at right now. Yep. And uh, Justin, why don't you go next? Yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, I, I loved the first season. You know, in, in fact, I would say that the first season of The Mandalorian did probably a uh, this might be a controversial statement. I think I did a better job doing world building than um, than the three uh, prime movies that we got for uh, the, like the sequel trilogy. Um, you know, I think I did a really good job kind of just setting up just what the universe is like uh, post episode six. And, you know, I, I, I I, the the one thing I would say about the first season, uh, wh while I do love it, um, it was kind of light on just a a story in general. Uh, but I I totally understand that because a lot of first seasons of great shows are like that, where they're trying to just setting the stage, introducing the primary characters, what the world is like, and um, you know they'll 
kind of lead the bread leave the breadcrumbs that lead into the main plot and that's sort of what i'm expecting from a season two i think season two will kind of uh pick up a kind of central pl- uh, storyline um and lead us forward uh into kind of that uh standard five uh five season structure that you usually see usually a lot of shows tend to have you know yeah you know, i'm thinking like fringe and and loss and things like that usually around five or six seasons where you've kind of have a uh a light first season that introduces everything and then you know they the the writers kind of tend to to pick a central plot line that kind of drives the rest of the show so that's kind of what i'm expecting uh and i hope they kind of go that route you know i i love the first season a lot um but i think that it would lose a bit of steam um over time if they kind of do the oh this episode is about x and then this episode is about y like it kind of self-contained plot lines um you know that serialized structure of a tv show definitely can work uh obviously the older star trek shows are are uh centered on that kind of structure but um nowadays i think it's a little bit more difficult to um to uh frame a show show that way in, in that structure so i'm i'm kind of hoping that they kind of take a central plot line and kind of run with it and run all the way through um you know into like what you guys said a five basically a roughly five season structure and i, I think that's um probably what they're going to do um you know the the breadcrumbs I'm I'm thinking of uh, in, in the first season is with the obviously with the child and the Jedi. I think that um, you know, um, like Joseph said, uh, I think that's a really interesting um, aspect of the show is that you know that we know the Jedi are really important and really powerful, but at this point in the series uh, in the universe, at least this section of the galaxy, they they're completely unknown so i think they could play a lot with that uh they can play a lot with how the audience knows who the jedi are but the characters in the show might not necessarily know uh everything about them and they can do a lot of interesting storytelling that way and uh michael finish off the uh discussion please so now i'm the one being punished uh Uh no um (laughs) so I, i mean and I, yeah, I agree with what everybody's saying. I think one of the biggest problems, and there were several, but I think one of the biggest problems with seven, eight, nine was lack of continuity, right? I mean, I think without having a, a structure of where you want to go, uh, it, it leads to a mess of different ideas, different thoughts. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of these shows, the streaming shows or just shows in general, at least have going for them one season at a time where they can actually lay out what they want to occur over that entire season. The, the trap that those can fall into, though, is if you don't expect that you're going to go on for more than one or two seasons, you lay out everything in the first season or two, and then you have nothing left, so you start shoehorning in things. And I think that's where a lot of these um, – it's always, it's always a fine line, right? Do you think you're going to have enough popularity to drive it out over X amount of seasons so you plan for that? Um, with the problem being something like with Firefly where they cancel it out of the first season, there's a lot of unresolved stuff there. Or, or do you only plan for one season and then have to try to figure out what you're going to do if it goes further than that? So I think with The Mandalorian, I agree. I think they kind of kept it very serialized to see what the what the draw was going to be, how successful was it going to be. Because, again, a lot of people, and I think not necessarily for diehard Star Wars fans, or maybe, but a lot of, there was a lot of concern with a lot of things being canceled where they felt the Star Wars franchise was really strong, then there was kind of lukewarm reception, no pun intended, but I guess you could say there's some pun intended there, uh, regarding 
the movies and then we started seeing and you know the, the in uh, the one-offs um, rogue squadron being one of the better ones in my opinion and then we have like han solo and they just kind of weren't sure what the interest was going to be in another show featuring a, a kind of standalone character with the mandalorian in this case so i think the fact that they had already planned to drive this out a couple of seasons but they got to see the popularity and also allows them to really expand on the story. I mean, there's only so much you can do in a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour movie, particularly if you're trying to fit an entire story arc into that time. What we see with a lot of these streaming shows, and I think where they have the benefit is, is they can expand this out over 10 hours, 12 hours, or, or multiple seasons, 24 hours. So they have a lot more time to develop character a lot more time to develop story they don't need to try to do the development of the story and the characters and build upon that universe in a, in a span of two hours um especially if they're not sure if there's going to be a, a sequel to that or if there's going to be another sequel to that and still you're you're kind of struggling up against how much you can do in that time and of course the cost of doing all of that uh, so i think that's one of the things where mandalorian can focus on storytelling it can focus on world building and character building and we don't need to try to flush out his character over the course of two hours and then drive on to that. So I agree. I think the first season is about introducing us to characters, slowly building on the, the, the characters themselves and building those worlds. And then it allows, you know, season two, season three, et cetera, to kind of expand upon that, maybe draw in some of the more popular elements of that franchise and expand on those storylines and, and still having those other less popular areas that they can kind of throw in as, as needed. So I think, um, I think if they continue to do what they did for the first season, maybe build on the, the lore, build on the character in particular, the Mandalorian and start driving to a more arcing story across this season. And hopefully the next season, it'll only kind of continue to build on that and, and be a success for them. So, you know, I'm very excited. Um, excited for season two to be coming out i'm really excited for the idea that you know we'll have a season three and hopefully more seasons from them that that are on that we can continue to expand upon and i I'll think what's you, oh go ahead i was gonna say i'll tell you what i'm really nervous about the first season i think one there's a couple reasons it did so well but a lot of it was just the unknown you didn't know what you were exactly getting into going into it so that piqued a lot of people's interest and they they managed to keep two very important surprises really hush hush you know, starting with the child. And then as soon as that popped out, like nobody knew that was coming into, well, I mean, maybe there was a few, but it wasn't one of those widespread, hey, everybody on the internet knows until it happened. And then you have the series ending, which is the Darksaber um, making its appearance. And for those that know the lore behind the Darksaber, it was just an immediate geek out. And the question is, is how are they going to continue that suspense and that build in future seasons? Or are they going to? And if they don't plan on having stuff like that, is it going to affect their fan base? I think one of the advantages they have being a series is that, A, Favreau clearly seems to have a grasp for Star Wars. He did a good job getting, well, did a fantastic job getting Mar uh, Marvel off the ground with uh, Iron Man in the studios. I mean, let's not forget, nobody wanted to take Marvel Studios seriously when they said we're going to be doing our own films on our properties. Then they announced Iron Man. Nobody wanted anything to do with that. They couldn't get any producers, screenwriters, directors of note. Nobody wanted to touch it. He came in saying, here's my script, here's my, I'll direct it for you. And he was the one 
who championed Robert Downey Jr. because at that time he was just out of rehab and there was a lot of concern about, oh, can we, t- you know, can we make him the face of a franchise and so on and so forth. I so, don't, was he just out of rehab at that point? Because I was well, pretty sure he, he'd been out for a year or two, but he had not done a major project because there were all those lingering questions about him still. And the fact that they basically said, we, I want him, this is it, there is no other option, and he, you know, really got behind him is what did it because, you know, let, let's be honest, you can understand the concern was they were not owned by Disney at this point, but the concern was, can you imagine if he had relapsed um, right after they had done the film where they were doing it when essentially they had the next decade all pinned around this character? So um, Favreau has a vision. He has clearly shown that in comics and in Star Wars, he has a clear vision. He has a clear story. And I think one of the beautiful things about it is the television show allows him to move forward and also take a step back. So when you look at season one, all the episodes were decent, but let's let's be honest, there were some that were not as good as others. I think about, you have the one where they went to the agricultural planet and help those the farmers fight off the pirates um oh best episode <laughs> right and see now many people are mixed on this i liked it because it allowed you to get a bigger understanding we got to introduce cara dune into the mix we got to understand that whole thing about his helmet and how he was drawn to this girl to the point where you could see there was that hesitation about can i give this up can i just stay here and it was the arrival of the other bounty hunter had stopped that. There was the one with the prison ship where his uh, crew essentially betrayed him. And, you know, you could see the conflict between his old life and his new life. And, and moving that, you could see how he was not against tipping off the New Republic to get his means accomplished. And... I think that was the beauty of it because they had the advantage to say these are the core action shows, these are the core adventure shows, but we can dip our toes into some side stuff to see how that goes on. And I think when you have uh, an expanded season that allows you to do that because when you have eight hours, you're essentially looking at three movies, you know, if they're over three hours. And that gives them uh, some kind of flexibility it looks like they're trying to expand the universe for this one but yet you keep this you keep the stories and the characters small and at their core but you slowly expand them like if they had dropped in hey here's 20 new series regulars that's not going to work for a show like this but if you have shows like you know let's look at the rumors that we hear Ahsoka Tano, we got Michael Bean's character. Then we know Tamora Morrison's coming back, so everyone's like, Boba Fett's going to appear. We've heard Ming-Na Wah's character may indeed be back in the picture. We've already heard people from his prison crew are going to be back in the new season. So you have the great advantage of expanding the story, but still have keys to the past coming through. And I think that's going to bode really well, and it'll be really interesting to see where they go with things. Well, folks, that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new segment. Until then, take care, stay safe, and we'll talk to you then.